Hello, and welcome to episode two of Jimmy's Extraordinary 80s Playlist. I'm your host and creator, Jimmy, and I appreciate you joining me again this week as we make another mixtape. To any returning listeners, thank you for your interest and continued support in the podcast. If this is your first time listening, I'm thrilled that you're here, and I invite you to relax and reminisce as I create a themed musical playlist comprised of songs from the greatest decade to live in and live through, the 1980s. So last week was the launch of the podcast with the premiere episode titled Year In Number One Songs of the Decade, where I shared my own subjective perspective on the most popular songs of each year from 1980 to 1989, according to Billboard Magazine's Hot 100 Singles Chart. I want to take a moment and acknowledge the kind support and positive encouragement I've received from several listeners and would like to say a humble and heartfelt thank you to everyone. This podcast came about because of my undying love for all things 80s. I remember being a six-year-old kid fighting to stay awake in order to ring in the new year and new decade, hours before midnight on December 31st, 1979. My teenage sister Sherry was babysitting me while our parents were out for the evening at a nearby neighbor's party. At some point after they'd left, Sherry's boyfriend Anthony came over with a Safeway bag containing Shasta Cola, bags of potato chips, Oreo cookies, bean dip, Twinkies, and other assorted junk foods. Basically, all of the things my mother would never allow in our home, most importantly being the unsupervised visit from my sister's boyfriend. Eventually, I fell asleep against her on the couch during Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve special and was later awakened by her putting one of my mother's fancy serving spoons into my hand and a stainless steel saucepan in the other. Hurry, it's almost midnight, she said while laughing and pushing me toward our open front door. I could also see Anthony standing on the porch holding a serving ladle and a cast iron pan. Before I knew it, we were counting down the last remaining seconds before the clock struck midnight and the night became filled with revelry in our neighborhood. People were setting off firecrackers, blowing horns and noisemakers, and people in the street were screaming Happy New Year to each other and into the general night air. There I stood, welcoming in the 1980s, next to my sister and Anthony on our front porch, laughing and screaming, barely awake, but banging my mother's fancy serving spoon against her even fancier stainless steel saucepan without any care in the world. I had no way of knowing I was in for some of the most amazing experiences of my life while growing up in a San Francisco Bay Area record shop. Many of these experiences involved discovering some of the most incredible, inspiring, groundbreaking, and enduring songs, sounds, and artists of the time. I'm often reminded of the countless memories I made during the 80s, which were usually soundtracked by the songs heard on the radio, in the record shop, at live concerts, talked about with my friends, or just listened to on my headphones. These songs will forever hold a special place in my heart, and I'm excited to share the memories and the music with those who lived in and lived through the decade, as well as those curious to learn about what it was like to be there, but weren't. Before I continue, I'd like to take a moment to advise where to find the podcast. You can find Jimmy's Extraordinary 80s Playlist available on various platforms, including Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, with new episodes available every Wednesday. You can reach out to me at jeepmusicpodcast at gmail.com, where I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy what you're hearing and want to show your support, please take a moment to hit follow, subscribe, and like on whatever platforms you enjoy listening to podcasts on. I'd also greatly appreciate any five-star ratings and or reviews of the podcast. And please be sure to tell your friends, family, and anyone in between about Jimmy's Extraordinary 80s Playlist. I thank you for supporting, sharing, and listening as I discuss music, memories, and making mixtapes. I've unwrapped another 60-minute blank Maxell audio cassette tape and placed it into the left side of the dual cassette tape player of my stereo system. I've pressed down the pause, play, and record buttons, and I'm ready to make another memorable mixtape filled with extraordinary 80s music.
Out of respect for the copyright and creative process by the artists involved in all songs mentioned in the podcast, no music clips will be included. Instead, I will use my commentary about the songs and encourage the listener to support music sites by authentically acquiring access to these songs. Our theme this week is Rainbow Pride, inspired by the month of June, which is recognized as Pride Month for anyone identifying as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersexual, asexual, agender, and allies. In the last five decades, I've seen the acronym grow from LGBT and gain international momentum to its more recent recognition of LGBTQIA. Our playlist will include songs that, in my opinion, capture the culture and experience of being a rainbow resident during the 1980s. I've got our first song ready to start side A of the playlist, so I'll unpause the cassette player and start our mixtape with track one. The artist is Diana Ross, and the song is I'm Coming Out. I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross was released in August of 1980 and eventually peaked at number five on Billboard's U.S. Hot 100 singles chart. The song, I'm Coming Out, was and continues to be synonymous with an individual's coming out and celebrating self-disclosure. It's unofficially been adopted as an anthem of the LGBTQIA community to celebrate and publicly acknowledge an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, chances are at some point you've heard the term coming out in reference to those identified by, involved in, or supported by the LGBTQIA community. Coming out is typically identified as the vocal declaration of an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. The decision to publicly come out is a person's own experience where each individual decides on his, her, or their own whether or not to self-disclose specific details to others. Now that decision to self-disclose, it might involve when to come out, how to come out, where to do it, uh, who to talk to, who to come out to, uh, if it's a friend, a family member, uh, a sibling, a parent, a teacher, um, a counselor. Um, It can be very daunting and very difficult. Um, Also, coming out to oneself can be Um, a challenging process as well. Um, I I can tell you that though there have been major impacts in supporting the coming out process over the last few decades, for someone to come out uh, back in or during the 1980s, coming out could also mean coming into a variety of unfamiliar and um, unprepared for uh, territory Um, ranging from prejudice and fear to physical violence, um, denouncement from communities, uh, loss of employment, um, friendships being ended, um, loss of family, or um, in some cases being removed from the family home, um, trying to combat Um, ignorance or perceptions of what it meant to be uh, someone who had come out or was coming out. Um, I can also tell you, though, on the other hand, that during the same time, it also provided conversation starters for parents and children, for siblings, uh, for friends um, who were going through the process of having a loved one or a friend or someone that was involved in their life, um, having the confidence and the decision to self-disclose to come out to them. Um, There were programs that were developed. Um, I saw these in my own community growing up in the San Francisco Bay area where there was um, medical attention provided There were programs on counseling and not just for someone coming out, but for supporters of and family members um, of, so that it could be um, an experience that was worked through together rather than um, 
just an ending for um, writing somebody off or or um, moving forward without them in your life. Um, there was education provided in schools as well as in um, the media. Um, there were changes that were attempting to um, get made with processes to recognize um, being gay as um, something that wasn't um, a mental deficiency that um, members who had come out of a gay community posed no different threat than anyone in a uh, community that was populated with straight um, identifying individuals. Um, the funny thing about the song I'm coming out is that it migrated from Diana Ross singing it and declaring, you know, that here she is, she is making a stand for herself and she is letting it be known. Um, there's lyrics in there that read, I want the world to know, got to let it show. There's a new me coming out and I just have to live and I want to give. I'm completely positive. I think this time around, I'm going to do it like you never knew it. Oh, and I'll make it through. It just has a perseverance in it and a progressiveness that I admire. And that when the song starts and she gets the first few verses out of I'm coming out, it isn't the ending. It isn't here I am. I've come out. It is I've come out but walk with me on this journey. Take this experience with me. Take my hand and we'll walk together. And it's going to be challenging. Yes, there's going to be some peaks. There's going to be some valleys. But this is the path we're walking. This is the path we're meant to be on. And for a lot of us that heard this song, we saw ourselves in the lyrics that she was singing. So I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross is a declaration for so many people to say, yeah, I'm here. I'm queer. Are we used to it? So as Diana Ross with I'm Coming Out fades out, I'll go ahead and I'll press pause on the cassette player. And I've got our next song coming up for us to follow. This is track two. The artist is Bronski Beat. And the song is Small Town Boy. Small Town Boy by Bronski Beat was released in June of 1984 and peaked at number 48 on Billboard's US Hot 100 singles chart. So in the coming out process for an individual, there are several different responses that the individual can receive from friends, family members, and those that are affected by the decision to self-disclose. Um, one of the responses that typically became identified with coming out was uh, having everything that a person had worked for, was working toward, lost. Um, and this meant everything from losing their job, opportunities of career paths, education, um, positions in different companies or um, fields of study that somebody was um, proving they could be successful in, that could all be taken away and altered um, by the decision to self-disclose or to come out during the 1980s. On a more personal level for um, those that came out, it could result in their family disowning them and deadening the existence that they had once had as a member of the family and as a human being. Um, they could be thrown out of their home um, sent away to live with another relative, um, or just live in an atmosphere of uncertainty. 
when you're young, uh, speaking for myself, the world is rich with opportunity and you feel as though you can be anything you want to be. You can have superhuman powers and you can fly or you can swim or you can run fast and just do what you're capable of doing. Um, you feel like you can laugh and just live and learn about love. And it isn't until someone or something comes into your world and tells you that that's wrong or that you can't do that or that you shouldn't do that, that it suddenly becomes um, a greater experience. Um, for someone who is already faced with the realization of who he or she or they are to then have to walk through the process of navigating family members and friends to no longer see you as or see them as someone different, but to see them as more self-actualized and it takes a lot for the person to come out, yes, but it takes even more sometimes for the people that are surrounding that individual to come along um, with them. And you don't always see that. Um, the song, Small Town Boy, tells the story of uh, just what you would expect from the title, a young boy who um, has identified himself as um, a member of the LGBTQIA community. And he um, attempts to share his feelings um, of who he is um, through the song. And the frontman for Bronski Beat, Jimmy Somerville, uh, sings in a falsetto um, and tells the story of uh, having to leave his home um, after he's been uh, rejected um, due to his uh, sexuality and his uh, sexual orientation. Um, the song has a steady use of synthesizer. There's a pulsating rhythm and the repetitive lyric of run away, turn away, um, all of that will significantly resonate with anyone who's ever had to turn away from what was once familiar and suddenly find their way all alone and navigate a path that feels very uncertain and unfamiliar. Um, the video was one of the earliest I remember seeing on MTV and um, it shows him uh, confessing to his uh school crush um, his feelings and then is physically attacked um, by a group of guys um, including the the young man that he uh, confessed his crush crush to um, he's then brought home by the police to his parents and it, it's understood without having to say it that this is how his parents learn he's gay um there's a scene in the video that's absolutely heartbreaking. It's where he is, he's leaving. He, he is going to have to leave home and he reaches out his hand to shake his father's hand before he leaves. Uh, but his father doesn't take it. Um, this is something that uh, I personally haven't experienced. Um, from my father when I was young, but I know that so many other um, members of the LGBTQIA community experienced. And to a lesser extent, I know that some received their father or their mother or their guardian's hand, but it wasn't in the form of a handshake. It was met with um, 
a physical response that um, was not appropriate and was not the correct response for someone who was expressing a vulnerability to someone who should have and could have received it differently. But Small Town Boy is one of the ways that society received and in some instances, yes, still receives the news of an individual um, coming out and stating their sexual orientation or gender identity. So A Small Town Boy by Bronski Beat fades out. I'll go ahead and I'll press pause on the cassette player. And I've got our next song ready to go. Our next song is track three. The artist is Cindy Lauper and the song is True Colors. True Colors by Cindy Lauper was released in August of 1986 and spent two weeks peaking at number one on the Billboard US Hot 100 singles chart. Who doesn't know this song? The song True Colors is another one of those unofficially adopted anthems for the LGBTQIA community. Uh, There's just something soothing and compassionate that you can hear and that you can feel resonate in Cyndi Lauper's voice as she sings each lyric of this song. Um, The song itself has probably one of the most dynamic lyrics that um, I can recall uh, from her catalog, let alone a song from the 1980s. Um, And the lyric itself, of course, is, show me a smile then, don't be unhappy, can't remember when I last saw you laughing. If this world makes you crazy and you've taken all you can bear, you call me up because you know I'll be there. This resonates with me because people who come out or identify as LGBTQIA are still the same person that they were before that declarative moment. Um, And in that lyric, it just reminds me that this person she's singing to has laughed before. They had a sense of belonging and excitement for the world and camaraderie. And now it was dimming. The colors were beginning to blur and fade. And she's pleading with the person to let them shine, bring those back. You know, if you need support or a shoulder or an ear, or an arm around you, call me. I'm that person. I'll be there for you. And for so many people that were growing up during this time that saw maybe only the negative impact and aspects of finding their identity, um, some of them sought resources that were detrimental and could result in, you know, taking one's life or harming themselves or things that were not going to be productive um, to navigate through the rest of their lives. Um, I remember being, I don't know, probably 13 or 14 and, um, there was never really a moment where I felt I had to come out to one or both of my parents and say, you know, Hey, guess what? Or, Hey, I want to have a conversation with you. And it just was one of those things where I'd always been the person I was and I was no different, um, 
than I had been. But I remember having a moment where I was sitting in the den with my father and I had been wanting to say it out loud to acknowledge to him that, guess what? I'm gay. But I wasn't exactly certain how to say that or what was behind me saying it or how it would be received or any of that. So I had already had this dialogue in my head with the different outcomes of what could potentially occur. And before I knew it, well, he was sitting in his chair and he was reading, um, I can't remember what he was reading, but it was a hardcover novel. Um, but he was reading <laughs> and I remember sitting across from him and I was just kind of like hanging out and just like sitting there and I felt his eyes on me and I looked over at him and he just waited. He, he didn't say anything um, because I, I know that he knew the gravity of the situation, I guess. And I said, you know that I'm gay, right? <laughs> and I just remember as the words were coming out of my mouth that you can't grab them in midair and put them back in. You know, I was, I was putting the stock in each word as it came out and each syllable and feeling the magnitude of it as it left my tongue and my mouth and went out into the air and then went into his ear. But, um, I'll never forget. He still looked at me the whole time. Like his eyes didn't leave my direction. And he said, I do, but what else are you? And I just hadn't prepared myself with all of the different scenarios that I thought of could have happened after having this moment that I had played out in my head. I just couldn't imagine that that was what he was going to say. So I just remember sitting there and he came over and sat next to me and he said, this is a part of you. This isn't all of you. Show me and tell me who you are. And I remember crying and just being really vulnerable about the experience. And I wasn't crying because I was gay or, you know, was feeling anything negative about having just come out to my father. I was, uh, crying. They were, they were tears of joy. It really was. It was relief. It was knowing that I had fallen backward and this person was there to catch me and prop me back up and then to stand behind me and say, I'm going to watch you as you walk forward. And the urge is going to be there for me to run up alongside you or get in front of you because I know things are going to be challenging and things can be tough, but I'm behind you 100%. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. True Colors by Cindy Lauper has ended, and I'll go ahead and press pause. And I've got our next song ready. Track four, the artist is Evelyn Thomas, and the song is High Energy. High Energy by Evelyn Thomas was released in April of 1984 and peaked at number 85 on Billboard's U.S. Hot 100 singles chart. The first time that I can recall hearing this song was not on the radio, and it wasn't by seeing a video on MTV or anywhere like that. The first time that I heard the song was coming from my parents' bedroom on a Saturday afternoon. And what grabbed my attention was that it was being played so loud that I could hear it all the way downstairs reverberating through the house. So I remember going up the stairs and standing outside of my parents' bedroom and just listening to the song and 
wondering, number one, how had I not heard it before? And number two, how do I get my hands on this? This was a hit. Well, it was part of a mixtape that my father had made for my mother um, called Liz is Going Out Tonight, which um, tonight was spelled with the number two, followed by the letters N-I-T-E. And uh, my parents, for as long as I can remember, they would go out uh, every Saturday night without fail. Um, That was their thing. And they would get dressed up and they would go out to dinner and they would go dancing um, and they would do all kinds of activities that they enjoyed together. Uh, But specifically, my mother would start getting ready for their Saturday night outing or date um, as early as like two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I remember that she would work with my dad at the shop and then she would leave and go home and start the process. And this was hours and hours. Um, She would do everything. And sometimes I watched her where she would figure out her makeup and then remove it and then reapply it take dresses from the closet and lay them on the bed or hang them up near the window, put them on, take them off, try and figure out what was going to be the outfit she'd want to wear. She'd pull out shoe boxes of heels and put them on, take them off, uh, match them against the dresses, remove from makeup, reapply it, figure out her hair, um, do all of these things. And, when my dad would get home somewhere around like six o'clock, I just remember the process for him to get ready would involve him like showering and shaving and putting on, you know, his clothes and then waiting downstairs for my mother. And she would do a couple of different things where she would call out, you know, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And that really meant, you know, we're not going to be leaving before eight or she would get ready and actually start to make her way midway down the stairs and suddenly remember that she didn't like the dress she was wearing or the shoes that she had were uh, scuffed or her makeup was um, not appropriate for where they were going or what they were going to be doing. Um, And she would run back upstairs and then, you know, more time would pass. And I remember I used to sit and watch MTV and, keep my father company while he waited for her. And we would talk about music and videos and just things in general um, throughout, you know, the different, different Saturday evenings that we spent uh, doing that. But um, eventually he got me the 45 single of High Energy by Evelyn Thomas. And boy, did I play that song because if that doesn't get you up and running, then your body is in need of um, medical attention. There's just there's just something about this song. It's absolutely uplifting. Um, there's a, a pulsing, pounding beat, which is is complemented by um, Evelyn Thomas singing with every fiber of her worth during this song from start to finish. Uh, she is committed and you absolutely can feel it. It just produces and brings this emphatic energy through. Um, it's, it's a real dance floor, um, filler too. Um, I've been to weddings and celebrations and, um, gatherings where this will come on. And usually it's, you know, a crowd of a certain age now who grew up with this song and this type of genre of dance known as high energy that will take to the floor and strut our stuff and give it everything we got because this is one of those songs where you could really feel the freedom and be who you were going to be so as high energy by evelyn thomas fades out i'm going to go ahead and press pause and we've got our final track for side a This is track number five. The artist is The Weather Girls, and the song is It's Raining Men. It's Raining Men by The Weather Girls was released in September of 1982. 
and peaked at number 46 on the Billboard US Hot 100 Singles Chart. I remember being in elementary school and hearing this song somewhere, I don't quite remember where, but all of a sudden there had been a talent show announcement that was happening throughout the uh, school. And a bunch of my friends and I decided we were going to enter the talent show, uh, even though I don't know any of us really had any talent at that point of what we were going to do. But somehow we were going to perform It's Raining Men by the Weather Girls. Well, my friends uh, Denise and Kim took the leads and there were four of us dancing behind them. There was myself, there was Joey, there was uh, David, and there was Bobby. And I remember we tried to come up with some choreography while we were out at recess one time, but we were um, a little intimidated, I think, and uncertain of what exactly we were going to do. Plus everybody was out watching and, you know, hanging out on the playground and the monkey bars and the swings and kids were playing kickball and jumping rope. And, you know, there was a yard duty monitor out there patrolling the grounds and everything. So I think we also were a little uh, overwhelmed (laughs) to attempt to do something with all the eyes that could have seen us. So I remember we did a practice or two um, in like a, like a, I don't even know what it was called. It was like a music room that was in the school, but it was used to house like a, a small piano and some orchestra instruments and, and things of that nature. There wasn't really an organized um, music um, studies class or anything at the elementary school that I went to, but they had these instruments back there along with some stands for music and things like that. But anyway, I remember being there and just thinking that I was, I don't know, I thought I was Darcel from Solid Gold and that my moves were the only moves that mattered and that none of the other guys could dance. And then I thought that the girls were the wrong choices to lip sync this song, that I could do it myself. Um, Suddenly I was, you know, big headed Jimmy. (laughs) And I just wanted to do a one man production of It's Raining Men by the Weather Girls. Well, I didn't, thankfully. And I do remember it was about a week or two later when this talent show went on and there were some terrible acts. There was a girl that played her flute and did a lot more of, you know, spitting out into the air than actually connecting with the flute to make sounds and music come out of it. And we followed her. So I was backstage, like just over the moon because I thought this audience is going to be hungry for anything that wasn't what they just saw. So, you know, we went out, we sang and did our thing or the girls lip sync and we danced. And I didn't realize the song was as long as it was because in practicing it, especially when you're a kid, we just kind of like listen to a little bit of it, or at least I did, and said, I got it. I've got moves to go through the whole song. And I found that I was struggling, like trying to repeat dance moves or come up with things on the fly or really draw attention to myself. Um, I don't know who I thought I was, but um, (laughs) there I was nonetheless. The thing I love about this song, though, is that it has endured. Um, It's Raining Men is again, another one of those songs that populates the dance floor. It's instantly recognizable. Um, You can't help but smile throughout it. It's just, it's such a fun song. And the vocals on this song are unbelievable. Like Martha Wash is, again, singing almost without effort, but she is singing this song. You can't help but feel it. There's just, there's just something about it when the uh, bridge kicks in and she's singing about, you know, stormy weather moving in, it's about to begin. And then she has sort of that uh, run with the background vocal where it's, you know, hear, hear, the, the, thun, thunder, der, 
don't, don't you, you lose, lose your head, right? And then she says, rip off the roof and stay in bed. It's like, okay, I'll take the first 25 shingles. You know, it's just, this is one of those songs that is instantly recognizable and associated with gay culture. Um, it's, it's such a celebration. It's such a celebratory song that how could you not love it? How can you not move to it when you hear it and just instantly smile? So It's Raining Men by the Weather Girls has ended, and God bless Mother Nature. This is also the end of Side A. I'll go ahead and I'll hit stop, and I will flip the tape over, and then I will press the pause, the play, and the record buttons down simultaneously as we start Side B. Our first track for Side B is going to be by an artist named Melissa Etheridge, and the song is Like the Way I Do. Like the Way I Do by Melissa Etheridge was released in May of 1988 and did not chart on the Billboard US Hot 100 singles chart. I remember the first time that I heard this song, I was over at my friend Tammy's house and we were just hanging out and like doing our homework and just talking about movies and life and things like that. And she put on a mixtape that she had made for herself which was very female centric as she said and it had artists that i recognized and songs that i knew it it had Edie burkell and then it was uh, natalie merchant or Ten Thousand maniacs then came uh who was after natalie Merchant? oh it was joan armatrading with drop the pilot and then the next artist was melissa etheridge and I hadn't heard her before, but I remember stopping talking and just listening because from the first few strums of this guitar to her lyrics coming in and just uh, demanding, you know, the listener's attention, let alone the person in the song that she's singing to, um, it was hard to deny what was happening. Um, I was instantly won over by this woman's voice. It was very raw. It was very um, urgent in the sense that um, it sounded like she was, you know, standing in a doorway, um, you know, telling a, a lover, you know, what is it about this other person that is so enticing or attractive or superior to what we have and what is it about them that um, is going to, you know, be that greener side that um, you're willing to give everything up for and run to? Um, but she is relentless during this song. Like she is, uh, again, it's very raw. It's very open. It's very focused. Um, it isn't beating around the bush. It isn't um, being subtle in its approach um it's just it's such an incredibly written song and it started a um appreciation for melissa etheridge the artist and songwriter this is a wonderful song that um certainly anyone who's been in a relationship with another person that realizes you're the only one left in the relationship <laughs> can relate to and naturally one of the one of the responses is to feel um a comparison what is it about the other person that you know you're going to or that you're interested in that i don't have or that um i'm not providing or that i'm no longer stimulating in you and you know after enough of that you realize Mm, it isn't really about me. It's really the other person that has the things to work through. And you move forward and you move on. As Like the Way I Do by Melissa Etheridge fades out, I'll press pause on the cassette and prepare the next song. Track two is by the artist Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and the song is Relax.
Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood was released in March of 1984 and peaked at number 67 on Billboard's U.S. Hot 100 Singles Chart. The song was then remixed and retooled and re-released in January of 1985, where it peaked at number 10 on the same chart. I remember asking slash pleading slash begging slash demanding my parents buy me a oversized white t-shirt with huge black block lettering on the front that read Frankie say relax. And eventually they gave in and bought me the shirt and I wore it proudly everywhere that I went to. I remember wearing it to school, to my grandparents' house, uh, just anywhere that I was out and about in, I was always wearing that shirt. And it became the slogan that really took off and similar to the choose life slogan that wham created from wake me up before you go go uh people were saying and wearing the slogan frankie say relax however the meaning behind it went over my head like i was really young i was about 11 12 at the time and i didn't really realize that it, the song was in reference to either well abstaining or not prolonging an act of intimacy um, in order to protect oneself and others. Um, there was a sort of perception that was out there that gay men in particular were promiscuous and that the AIDS crisis that was occurring was the fault of the um, gay man. And it wasn't until um, those within the LGBTQIA community began to show signs of and suffer from and uh, pass away from AIDS and HIV that there was a real outcry to get notice. And so there were celebrities and um, actors and actresses and sports figures and and uh, names of the like that were putting their face and their reputation to combating the AIDS crisis. So you started to hear and see songs uh, on MTV or on the radio like Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, which were not all about um, engaging in um, acts that could affect one's uh, own life as well as others, but that were suggesting um, waiting and taking precautions and making decisions that were going to result in um, the health of those involved. Um, but the song itself has such an infectious beat that it's hard to not pound your fist or uh, stomp your foot or dance around to it because it's just engaging right when it starts. And it's one of those songs that when I think of the 80s, it definitely comes up and I remember it fondly. So Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood has ended. I'll go ahead and push pause on the cassette player, and I've got our next song ready to go. Our next track is by the artist Jermaine Stewart, and the song is We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off. We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off by Jermaine Stewart was released in May of 1986 and peaked at number five on Billboard's U.S. Hot 100 singles chart. One of the things that I remember most about this song is seeing the video on a program called Night Tracks. Uh, Night Tracks was a music videos program that was on Friday and Saturday nights on the channel called TBS, which was stood for Turner Broadcast System. Um, the thing about Night Tracks was that it just played continuous videos. You didn't have... Uh, 
music VJs or personalities or anything like that. It was just video after video after video. So I remember being able to see and be introduced to artists and videos and songs that I hadn't heard before that I wasn't as familiar with. So I remember seeing the video of Ricky Lee Jones song called the real end on night tracks and just absolutely enjoying it because for its time it was interesting and it was doing something different and dynamic that I hadn't seen in a lot of videos. Uh, it's also where I saw the uh, group go West song. We close our eyes. And again, I thought that was just interesting and incredibly well done. And it looked like nothing else I had seen that was on MTV. Uh, MTV at the time was really into um, specific artists and they seemed to be playing uh, music videos and programming centered around specific artists, which, you know, who can fault them because that was what was um, the channel was responsible for. But while they were playing Bruce Springsteen and Michael Jackson and Prince and Madonna, um, Night Tracks was showing uh, or showcasing a lot of different artists that weren't getting the popular uh, video play um, or even airplay on, on radio as well. But Nitrex is where I first heard We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off by Jermaine Stewart. And the video was so just infectious and fun and entertaining. It's nothing um, nothing outrageous or inventive. It's really just him and the backup singers and the band performing the song. But it's as though I, as the viewer, am getting to oversee a um, performance of a song and how into it and how celebratory the people that are part of it are, which uh, for me as a viewer and as a listener really um, sparked a lot of interest in it. And it's funny because at the time there was a real um, backlash to being overly sexual or being, you know, sexually suggestive in songs or um, having lyrics that could be interpreted as too risque or provocative. But this song was simply Jermaine Stewart uh, affectionately scolding, you know, a lover about wanting to move too fast uh, physically and instead saying, you know, we're young, uh, let's just have fun. Let's just enjoy one another's company. We can dance, you know, we can really have fun in so many other ways that don't require us to take our clothes off. And uh, it resonated with a lot of people. This was, this was such a uh, anthem at the time for the LGBTQIA community uh, and those that were trying to get away from the perceived stigma that um, the community was simply focused on um, sexual uh, promiscuity and, and things of that nature. One of the things that I always love about this song is the pre-chorus lead into the actual chorus where uh, he starts it off with the lyrics. So come on, baby, won't you show some class? Why do you have to move so fast? We don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time. Oh no, we could dance and party all night. Just before he says the words all night or sings them, he ad-libs throughout the uh, <laughs> pre-chorus and the chorus. But in this part in particular, he yells out rather um, excitedly, all night, which I always smile at because it's just incredibly infectious. It um, reminds me of being a little kid and riding in the backseat of my dad's Dodge Dart. 
and this song would come on the radio and I would scream out all night before Jermaine Stewart could. Uh, and it would always make my parents laugh because it was just such a enjoyable part of the song. So I remember this song fondly. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it or haven't heard it in a long time, please revisit it. It'll be worth it. As We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off by Jermaine Stewart fades out with its signature na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-
there just will not be the necessity for it um, as we see. But I'm grateful that where we are now certainly isn't where previous generations that sacrificed and suffered and supported had done. I'm grateful that moving forward, there's encouragement and there's understanding so that people can still stand and they can still walk and move forward and encourage others. And I hope that it stays that way for a very long time. As I'm still standing by Elton John fades out with the yeah, yeah, yes. I'll go ahead and I'll press pause one last time as we get to our final track on side B. Our final track is by the artist Madonna and the song is Holiday. Holiday by Madonna was released in September of 1983 and it peaked at number 16 on the Billboard US Hot 100 singles chart. It's interesting to have been there when certain artists and certain moments during the 1980s made their impact. Uh, I remember watching the Motown anniversary special when Michael Jackson moonwalked during Billie Jean. And I remember seeing the very first MTV Video Music Awards where Madonna writhed around on the stage in her wedding dress. Uh, I remember the behind the scenes filming and making of USA for Africa's We Are the World, uh, watching Michael Jackson's Thriller video. Uh, seeing Live Aid performed by a host of artists all across the planet. And just taking in those moments for what they were and the impact that they were making on the young mind uh, that I had at the time. But when I first discovered Madonna, I felt as though I was discovering somebody who was larger than life. She, as an artist, was one of the first um, musicians that I really paid attention to. I remember getting her first album, her self-titled debut album, Madonna, and falling in love with all of the songs. Um, there was something about her voice, and there was something about her authenticity that made me think she was just, you know, a girl from the neighborhood, just somebody that um, was the older sister of one of my friends. And songs like Borderline and Burning Up just were wonderful songs that she really put her all into. And you could feel it. You could feel this energy that was coming from such a, a place that was uh, hard to characterize. And just when you thought you had a handle on her, she was moving on to something else. So it's interesting that, you know, four or five decades later, you know, she's still relevant. The, you know, groundbreaking music and artistry that she delivered, the ahead of her time, ahead of our time, music videos and albums and contributions that she made to the world of music and media, the trend setting that she had with, you know, her personality and her fashions and just her being. It's often, I suppose, easy to forget all of that um, in the in the type of reality that we see today. But in her prime and at her peak, which was a long peak, she really made the difference in so many people's lives, especially to um, LGBTQIA identifying youth. Uh, this was a figure who was supportive and vocal about causes and concerns that were important to the community. Um, she was an artist that used her fame and her name and her reputation to seek funding and get messages across and draw attention to and provided activism for 
a host and a variety of things that may not have gotten the attention that they did or the recognition without her involvement. The song Holiday always reminds me of being really young and first discovering Madonna and dancing along to it in my bedroom with my headphones. It's such a simple song, but it has such a wonderful message about it. It's really just talking about, you know, celebrating good times, enjoying the people you're with, you know, turning things around when they seem like they're insurmountable and just taking a breath and a break and moving forward from it. And I think so often that we can get caught up in what often seems overwhelming or unbelievable that it can take us over and we can forget for a moment all of the great things that we've done and are destined to do and the important impact that we make in another person's life and how if we were no longer there that we would be severely missed so it's important to take that holiday and just smile laugh dance and if necessary repeat and we did it we've completed our second podcast playlist mixtape I'll go ahead and press stop on the cassette player and eject our tape. I'm going to label it and put it into our cassette holder, and we're all set. I hope everyone celebrating Pride this month makes amazing memories and moments with those you love and hold dear. Remember, they see your true colors, and that's why they love you. I hope that you've enjoyed the experience as much as I've enjoyed bringing this to you, and that you'll continue to listen and support. So until we meet again... This has been Jimmy's Extraordinary 80s Playlist. Enjoy!